Looking to create wealth and income through high cash flowing real estate? Self-storage is the fastest growing and the newest real estate asset that has outperformed all others. What's its secret? I'm AJ Osborne, and with over a million square feet that we have built, acquired, expanded, and even converted big box stores from small third tier markets to large hundred plus thousand square foot facilities, we have seen it all. This is the podcast that we're going to discuss and bring on the best investors and operators in the nation to show you how to create wealth and income with self-storage. Welcome to Self-Storage Income. Welcome back, everybody, to the Self Storage Income Podcast. Today, you've got me, Connor, just hanging out with you guys. AJ is off hanging out in Hawaii, of all places, hanging out with uh, Brandon Turner, Investor Girl Brent, Tarl Yarber, all those awesome guys from Bigger Pockets, and some other real estate centric individuals out there. They're all having a good time hanging out, sharing uh, their knowledge with each other, having a good time. And, uh, you know, right now, it's uh, as this is being recorded, it's still kind of wintertime in most of the US. And uh, tell you what, AJ, I hope you're getting nice, getting that getting that Irish tan for everybody. And if you don't know, an Irish tan is just a sunburn. Because uh, <laughs> that's exactly uh, what AJ probably would get. Um, I have no idea. But anyways, hopefully he's having a blast. Today, I wanted to jump into just a few topics on uh, what you guys need to look out for on conversions. So when you're going out, you're acquiring a building and you're looking at an empty box or you're looking at this hodgepodge just thrown together industrial office space area, whatever it is, what do you need to be looking for? What are some of those big things that you need to be analyzing and looking at when you're walking through uh, those buildings? We have a massive conversion project underway right now. And uh, this is uh, 2021, early 2021 right now, as this is being recorded. And this conversion project we're talking about and that we have going on right now is just incredible. It's going to be an insane project. We're super excited about it, and we're actually documenting all of it on YouTube. So if you go over to YouTube and go to the Self-Storage Income uh, YouTube channel, you can see part one, two, and three over there. And if that if you're listening to this before the third part has come out, then uh, just stay tuned. It's going to be coming out here shortly. But um, it gives you a complete and total walkthrough of all of that facility, of that building, how we, how we're looking at all these things, what we're looking at, how we're going to transition this just insane building into one of the most premier storage facilities in the country, and uh, we're just super, super excited about it. Before I dive into that, I wanted to touch on Live Oak real quick. We were talking to those guys over there the other day, and they were talking more about their SBA loans and uh, all the incredible incentives they have going on right now. So uh, between February 1st, so right now, and September 30th, this is 2021, they have all kinds of stuff going on for their SBA program. So um, in between that time frame, they're actually going to make six months of your P&I payments for you up to $9,000 a month. So that's a huge incentive. Uh, they have a ton of really, really good programs SBA-wise for you guys, just the incentives. And um, they're one of the most knowledgeable, helpful uh best resources out there for uh, your financing. And uh, we had a 
just incredible episode with Terry Campbell over there at Live Oak uh, here on the podcast quite a while back. If you guys haven't listened to that, go check it out. Uh, Terry is a wealth of knowledge. I know a lot of you guys have reached out and said that you've connected with Terry, and uh, he's been a huge help to you guys. So that's awesome. Keep reaching out to him. Keep that guy busy. I tell you what, him and his team, they do a really good job. Reach out to him, and uh, they have so much more going on with their SBAs. Uh, I'm not even going to dive into all of it because, honestly, I don't even know um, most of what they have going on. But that was just one of the things they were talking about. Um, that P&I payment covering that for six months, I mean, that's huge. So up to $9,000 a month, that's that's no small order. And uh, that's awesome. So SBA loans uh, are a huge deal for a lot of people just starting out in the storage industry. Uh, they can be very helpful to you guys. And, and no matter what place you're in currently in your investing career uh, journey here in the storage field. So anyways, reach out to Live Oak. Link is in the show notes. And then we also have Janice as our sponsor here on the Self-Storage Income Podcast. Janice International started their foundations in metal fabrication, and they still hold those foundations solid today. Uh, they manufacture doors, all kinds of stuff. And uh, they also acquired Noki uh, quite a few years ago. And uh, so now they actually own and deploy the Noki technology and provide that to self-storage owners and operators. Uh, Noki is a keyless entry technology that allows your tenants to access uh, to to essentially access your unit mix to see what units are available and unavailable. And they can rent, they can access the facility, they can store their stuff, they can access the unit and leave without ever talking to a manager on site. Now, this doesn't mean that you never have to have a manager again. Obviously, you're going to have to have managers to you know, help move people out or in and do evictions and all these you know day-to-day administrative tasks and uh, maintenance tasks and things like that. But this helps to streamline this process and meet that expectation of today's consumer where everything is just on a cell phone, right? So uh, it works all through Bluetooth on an app and everything else that uh, just allows tenants to go in, access everything, get their unit, get in, get out, and it's super, super streamlined. It's a fantastic uh, piece of technology that we utilize at a number of our facilities. We were, we're running this. We're using it. Uh, that's one of the great things I love about our sponsors here on Self Storage Income is these aren't just sponsors that have reached out to us and you know it's a great deal for us or whatever. These are people that we've specifically chosen, companies that we've specifically chosen to be a part of this uh, because they provided such an amount of amazing value to us and what we're doing, and we want to be able to direct you guys to the best. So uh, make sure that you get over there to Janus International. Check out everything that they've got going on. We're working with them again on this massive conversion project we've got going on recently. Uh, Super awesome group of guys over there. We even had um, uh, Janus on our podcast. it was quite a few episodes ago. You'll have to go go back and look at that. But um, I'm not even sure what episode that was. But um, phenomenal episode. Go back, check that out. And uh, it was with John Bilton, one of their key guys over there that has to do with the um, Noki technology. Super knowledgeable. And these guys have been in the industry for decades. Uh, I mean, you're talking tons and tons and tons of experience. You can't go wrong. So go to the show notes, check out Live Oak, check out Janice, see what they got going on. Reach out to them. Let them know you found them through self-storage income that we sent you uh, 
sent you their way from the podcast here, all that good jazz, and uh, we'll just keep sharing the wealth. So with that said, let's jump into the episode today, uh, what you guys need to be looking out for on conversions. This is going to be a short and sweet episode. I don't want to drag this on. A lot of this stuff is going to be on a case-by-case basis when you're looking at these looking at these buildings, looking at deals. There's a lot of things that go on. So when you're looking at a building, you have all kinds of structural, all kinds of mechanical, electrical, plumbing. You have all these things that you need to account for, the engineering that, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And it's so dynamic and it's, it changes with every single deal. And I feel like every one of these we do, we learn something new. <laughs> so I want to make sure that we share some of the stuff that we're learning as we go. And uh, I know we've covered some of these things in podcasts briefly in the past and on YouTube and so forth. Um, but this podcast right here today is dedicated solely to those things that you guys need to be paying attention to. First and foremost, concrete floors. So what can you put on a concrete floor? That seems like a crazy question for anybody that doesn't know much about concrete or load capacity. This is a thing that uh, is kind of interesting and one that um, we're working through on this conversion project that uh, we're on currently. The load capacity of concrete, obviously, after you think about it, it's not going to be the same, right? It's going to be, it's going to differ as, as, to, as to, you know, what kind of concrete it is and the mixture and how long it's been curing and the, the thickness and, you know, how it's structured, you know, is there the, the rebar, is it mesh, is it, you know, what, what's holding the concrete together, how is it poured, all that kind of stuff. There's a lot of, I mean, just right that alone, it's like you look at a concrete floor and you're like, okay, yeah, cool, I'm going to build some stuff on it. Okay, well, you're going to go in, you're going to convert this building into a storage facility. Is that concrete flooring up to code? Is it the right load capacity for self-storage per square foot? So the load capacity for storage, I believe, is right around 120 pounds per square foot uh, for the load capacity for self-storage. And that's extremely heavy from what I understand. I'm, and again, here, disclaimer, I am not an expert on any of this. These are things that we've run into, that we have some knowledge on, that we want to kick out to you guys. So verify with your builders, with your cities, your towns, all these other things, your codes, whatever you need to do, your architects and engineers, confirm what's needed. But these are things you absolutely need to be looking for because if you close on a building thinking that you're not going to have to spend half a million dollars rebuilding a floor, that's going to destroy your deal. So make sure that on these concrete floors or any floors, especially second floors, that you're having scans done of that concrete, that you're having coring done of that concrete to analyze how thick it is, what it's made up of, how it's put together, and verify that that load capacity does in fact meet that required 120 pounds per square foot. Um, get those, you know, on the second floors and first floors, get the calculations done by your engineers or whoever you need to get those done by. Ensure that if you go in on that second floor and start building a bunch of storage, is that second floor actually up to code? And is that going to meet the expectations and the requirements for the 120, 120 pounds per square foot that that uh, load capacity for storage requires? And uh, if not, What's that going to look like cost-wise to repair or to fix? What does that even look like? Does that mean tearing out the floor and rebuilding a new one? Does that mean pouring a new one on top of the existing one? 
How does that all work? So this is stuff as you're going through your due diligence process, put this on your checklist, this pre-flight checklist, due diligence checklist. Make sure that those concrete floors are squared away, that they're good to go. You get a lot of uh, material testing companies will do concrete scans and coring and things like that. So reach out to like some material testing and inspection companies in your area and uh, they can they can help you out and connect you with individuals if they don't do it that uh, will do that stuff. Also, I mean, you can coordinate with your builder. Uh, that's what we've done in the past. Coordinate with your builder, architects, engineers. They're, they they know these guys. They, they know the good people that, that go out and um, know what the heck they're doing and can tell you yes or no. And uh, what that's going to look like to repair it if, if unfortunately, the answer is no. Uh, so, and it might not be a big deal, hopefully. You know, if worst case scenario, hopefully you go in there, floors aren't good. You Maybe it's just a portion of the floor or whatever. Hopefully it's not all of it. But anyways, I have no clue what that would even look like to get floors done um, or redone. It would most likely mean removing the existing floor or somehow getting a floor installed over the existing floor and uh, getting that up to those requirements. Um, that's all I've got to say on the, the concrete floors. Make sure that's on your list. Get those done 100%. Next thing I wanted to touch on were gas lines. And I know AJ has mentioned this a couple times on the podcast and again on YouTube, um, but we had a facility that it was a conversion. And we had been in the facility for, it had been two, three years probably. And come to, so, so our, our manager actually comes into the building one day and thinks that she smells gas in the facility. And so she calls us and says, okay, this is what's going on. And we're like, okay, cool. You got to leave. Yep. We'll call and contact a gas company, yada, yada, yada. Turns out we did in fact have some gas leaks going on and these gas pipes are, are, are what goes to our HVAC system and, and heats the building. So it's all interior climate control. Uh, it was a big box store, but we converted it into storage. And uh, so not only the gas is getting shut off, but we're talking, this was in uh, the middle of winter, I guess. And uh, so our heat is now also shut off. So the building is is not only not running gas, but it's not running heat now, and it's suddenly obviously going to get cold. So that and can also cause another array of issues uh, in in regards to other piping. If you know pipes are freezing or whatever, and then on top of that, I mean, you have that service to your tenants to provide that valuable place and that good place that's functional and operating to store their stuff and their belongings. They have that expectation, especially in an all indoor facility that's, you know, temperature controlled, that uh, you go in there and it's, you know, 20 degrees, you're going to be like, what the heck, dude? So that totally makes sense too. I mean, you're, you're not meeting that expectation of a lot of those tenants. So we had this massive issue with the gas lines leaking. Come to find out, so we had companies come out looking at everything, evaluating everything. This alone was thousands and thousands of dollars just to have someone come out and go through and look at all the, the gas lines and essentially track down where these leaks were. And one of the ways they do this is they do a test called a manometer test. 
That's M-A-N-O-M-E-T-R, manometer test. Uh, at least I think that's how you spell it. And uh, they go in and it's essentially a pressure test on the pipes and then they can see where the leaks are actually occurring and then they mark where those leaks are happening. So I think we had like over 20 places along the entire gas line system that were leaking. So at that point, we're like, okay, well, it's not just a gas leak. We've got to go in and we've got to repair this entire gas system to all these HVACs. And there's not just a few HVACs on top of a big box store, let me tell you. And so we start having people obviously coming out and providing proposals on what this would look like to get this all repaired. Uh, the proposals, depending on the materials used, size of pipe, all that kind of stuff, they ranged from 50000 to over 100000 Yet again, not a small check for anybody, especially an unexpected check, <laughs> an expense like this where, you know, that's a, a massive capital expenditure that a lot of people wouldn't account for. And, uh, I got uh, I got my little puppy dog here in the office, and she thinks she's a guard dog just sitting here growling at the door. What are you doing? Get over here. Um, but anyways, she's a vicious, vicious dog, let me tell you. Um, you've got to get somebody out there. And so test those gas lines, do the manometer test. And so we found out we had all those leaks. They came out. Huge, huge ticket item, capital expenditure that a lot of people wouldn't account for. And we obviously... We had to get those pipes replaced, and uh, we ended up not just patching the lines because it was bad. So we ended up replacing all of the gas lines, getting all that done. Um, oddly enough, when we went through and we did the tenant improvement project and converted the facility, generally, from what I understand, you, sometimes cities will require a manometer test to be done on those gas lines before they'll issue a certificate of occupancy. But that wasn't the case for us and was not the case this time. So, uh, and again, whose fault was that? That was ours. We didn't ensure that those gas lines were tested. That was something that we overlooked and just did not ensure were done. So uh, make sure you test those gas lines. If there are any gas lines at, at any building that you're looking at converting, get a manometer test done. Have somebody look at that, ensure there aren't any gas leaks, ensure those pipes are good uh, because it's no small ordeal to get that done uh, and repaired. But uh, those manometer tests, they just have to be done by a licensed professional that specializes in those. Again, talk to your builders, talk to um, architects and so forth. They, Your city is even, uh, they have good, good contacts for a lot of these tests that um, cities generally require. Um, so make sure you reach out, find somebody good, get them out, test that stuff. And again, like don't miss this thing in your due diligence process. Make sure you get that test done on those gas lines. Um, but it, oh, the other thing on this, like this took uh, all said and done, this probably took six months to get from identifying that we had an issue to getting an approved proposal and getting somebody out there and working to get it fixed. And, uh, and it just kept like... This thing just kept snowballing, right? So we had, so we got all the gas pipes replaced and done and good to go. And then we're like, sweet, we're ready. Everything, you know, we've got heat back in the building, yada, yada, yada. You know, and then, you know, a couple of weeks later, our managers are like, man, that's like really cold 
really cold here in uh, the office and come to find out the contractors that were hired, they, they got all of the piping done, but they hadn't actually started up the units or gotten them prepared to run heat. <laughs> so uh, that was just another ridiculous thing. It was like, okay, guys, come on. Uh, but anyways, yeah, make sure not only you have good pipes, but you actually can't run heat. So uh, which leads me into my next topic that you need to cover in your due diligence process. Get that HVAC equipment inspected. Make sure, and not only by one person, like if your buddy or whoever, you know a guy or a contractor you know has a subcontractor that does all this HVAC stuff, whatever, I don't care, dude. Get as many contractors as you can, at least three people out there from different companies to look at that HVAC system and tell you what's going on. Because I can't tell you how many times we've had HVAC issues and we call six different HVAC companies and they go out and they look at something and they come back and half of them have completely different stories than the other half. So we end up having to cross-reference, go back and forth and figure out, okay, well, what exactly is the issue and how much is it going to be reasonably to get this repaired, to get this fixed? Um, as you guys can imagine and may have even experienced, HVACs are not cheap. They're super, super expensive, and uh, they're they're definitely an ordeal that you want to have squared away from day one or be planning for. And uh, again, you want to make sure this is in your due diligence. Have multiple contractors come out, inspect that HVAC, and if anything is wrong, get pricing, get proposals on what it would cost to get those um, HVACs repaired or replaced or whatever it is that they're telling you needs to be done. And uh, again, cross-reference with all those contractors and just see, you know, when their proposals, what are they talking about? What needs done? What doesn't need done? And, uh, you know, use some you know, critical thinking on your part as well to just kind of see what really needs to be done. Talk to them, kind of go over everything and uh, just make sure you're squared away on the HVAC. Because again, if you go in there, come to find out, you know, you purchase this building, you're converting it, and you can't use any of the HVAC because it's a million years old and it's dead. Everything's broke. Can't use it. No heat. No nothing. Uh, you're talking. Oh, I mean, you can. You can. This, the sky's the limit, honestly, for so many of these things, but HVAC especially. And uh, it can be extremely expensive and hundreds of thousands of dollars, depending on the size of the building, to have HVAC redone. So. Make sure that's on your list, HVAC. Uh, next thing, it kind of ties into HVAC a little bit, and uh, a lot of these HVAC units will sit on the roof or rooftop units. Make sure that uh, you get your roofing checked out. The next big thing is roofing. Roofing, roofing, roofing is another massive, massive expenditure. So again, at one of our facilities, we actually had an old roof that we were planning on getting replaced. And uh, we knew we would just been patching it up over the years, right? We knew it needed replaced. And we ended up having a, uh, well, we had a few windstorms, but we had some ballast stone on top of the, the roof that was just old there and existing. And uh, so that kind of kept all the membrane down. But once we started actually working on the roof, the contractor believed that the roof was actually, this is kind of just a horror story. Um, they believed that the roof was fastened 
down, but it actually wasn't. So they took the ballast off of the roof, the stones that was holding the, the membrane down, and uh, there were sections that weren't secured. And we had a massive wind and rainstorm come through, of course, Murphy. Murphy's there, always waiting. <laughs> and, uh, and so our manager walks into the facility, and it's literally raining inside the facility. Um, so we uh, jumped into damage control, had uh, the contract, and the contractor, I'll tell you what, was just incredible. They came out, got everything taken care of. Like, I mean, they had teams of people there on site. They went through, I mean, they were helping to clean up the facility. I mean, they were seriously like incredible. And again, this is an all indoor facility um, uh, on this facility that we're talking about here. And they just did a phenomenal job. At the end of the day, yeah, they should have known that it wasn't fastened down. Like, what the heck, guys? But they did a great job getting things taken care of, making it better, fixing the issue, resolving it. Um, but that's just kind of a side story. You need to have your roofing inspected. That was one thing. We had it inspected. We knew the roof was bad. And we were planning for it. Because in that, that was, what do I want to say? That was over half a million dollars. Um, close to a million dollars to have the roofing redone. And that was the most uh, valuable and cost-effective option that we wanted to uh, that we wanted to utilize. That wasn't the most expensive, most nice option. It wasn't the worst, you know, what can we skid by with? It was the best possible option that added the most value, would provide longevity, and uh, be a really, really good option for a long time for us and uh, allow us not to have to worry about doing constant roof patching and repairs and things like that. Um, so with that said, if you would not like to spend unexpectedly close to a million dollars on a roof that you didn't know you'd have to replace, uh, make sure you have, again, multiple contractors coming out, looking at those roofs, giving you proposals. If things are needing done, you need to know how much that's going to cost. Um, because one, if the deal still pans out, all that kind of stuff, great. You need to be planning for it, setting money aside for that capital expenditure and uh, being able to get that done when the time comes or when you're planning on getting it done. And uh, that's the other thing too, like so many of these things are can be unexpected. You think you might think, okay, well, I might be able to get by for X amount of time on that roof or whatever it might be, but come to find out, and even sometimes, that's, that's the reason why you have to have multiple people come out and look at these things. Some, a contractor might come out and say, hey, dude, you got like five years of roof left. You're good. Then another contractor might come out and be like, this is, this is pretty bad. This is the original roof. This needs replaced. This needs repaired. Like I would recommend here in the next year or two to get this done like ASAP. So that's when another key reason why you need to have multiple individuals coming out looking at this stuff because people see th things differently uh, you have different varying levels of experience and obviously you try to find the most experienced best people to come out and look at your stuff but at the end of the day you don't have control of a lot of that at, as far as who they are what their experience actually is any of that kind of stuff so that's why again have multiple contractors coming out and looking at this stuff, providing you proposals, letting you know what's going on, what they think, uh, what you need to be looking out for, all that good stuff. And uh, roofing is absolutely one of those things for sure. There's an acquisition that uh, we're actually looking at right now. We have a uh, building under contract that we're looking at that um, 
we just got a proposal back on roofs to to get those done. Those were original roofs, like back from like the 70s, uh, just the old tar paper, sandpaper type stuff that came in the big rolls. <laughs> just, you know, they, they would roll out and uh, there was a bunch of standing water on the rooftops and just looking at it from Google or like Earth or whatever it is, Google Maps, you could just tell the roof looked a little off. And so... Um, Again, that was just something that we had in the books. We're like, okay, we got to look at roofs, HVACs, concrete. We got to look at all these things. Um, kind of touching on the concrete real quick. Asphalt is another thing, like on the exterior that we look at a lot. Um, like, is the facility functional as is with the, the asphalt as, as is? Or do you need to take out portions of it and repair it to have it really be as functional as it should be, uh, as is reasonable. Obviously, there are certain things that uh, you'll believe it aren't reasonable and aren't usable, and some people will think they're usable and reasonable. But that's just a part of your discussion and negotiations that you'll have to, to cross once you get to that point. However, if there are some obvious areas where you know and you believe that those areas absolutely need to be torn out and replaced or you know have some massive repairs done or things need resealed immediately because they're getting bad or whatever the case is make sure to you know negotiate on that P put that in your underwriting make sure that you get pricing again on in proposals from multiple contractors on what that's going to look like cost wise for get for you to get those taken care of and get that asphalt looking good again a lot of this is perceived value for tenants and that that value prop position where you want a nice facility, right? You want nice concrete, nice asphalt, nice paint. You, you want good curb appeal, all this stuff. You want to make people, you want it clean, nice looking, all that good jazz. Because as we said, a lot of people that make or the majority of individuals making the choice to store or not are female. And uh, I don't know about uh, everybody out there, but uh, I think generally speaking, Females just tend to be super clean, right? They like things clean. Uh, but I can't blame them. I, I love things clean too. Uh, but anyways, make sure you're getting things inspected. Concrete, gas lines, HVAC, roofing. Those four things are some of the biggest things you guys need to be looking out for when you're looking at a potential building to convert it into storage. With that said, guys, thanks a bunch for tuning in. Get at us, and uh, hopefully AJ's going to be back here soon. And, um, you know, I just, I don't know. You, you just go to Hawaii, and sometimes you get lost. You just can't find your way back. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, no, he's going to be back next week and we're going to keep rocking and rolling with everything. If you want to keep up with all this awesome shenanigans, make sure to go and follow him on Instagram. Uh, just type in AJ Osborne and you can go and see everything he's got going on. Um, he's all over the place, that guy. Uh, he's doing a lot of awesome stuff. Love being a part of everything he's got going on. Just super cool. Uh, love to get you guys involved. And thanks again for listening to the podcast, leaving us all these awesome reviews, guys. You're amazing. Be sure to check out selfstorageincome.com and uh, keep up to date on everything we got going on over there. Tons and tons of things going on, guys. Um, and it's super, super exciting. And uh, we'll catch you next time. Thanks a bunch.